Yo, what's up, everybody? It's time for the In Off the Bench podcast. I am Daniel Ball, and I'm joined as always by my co host, my partners in crime, my brothers from other mothers, Jim Cross, Randy Jowers. And guys, it's a bittersweet feeling because tonight is the end of season five. But don't worry, we're coming back strong next week with season six. But we're going to end this season with a bang. Tonight's episode is episode 29 titled Omaha because tonight we have Arkansas baseball star Michael Turner joining us. But Jim, before Michael joins us, dude, you had one eventful weekend. Tell me a little bit about it. Yeah, man. Uh, shout out to our sponsors, the event in Atlanta, me, Dylan Delucia, upcoming guest, uh, Dylan Ross, and then two-time guest, Josh Hatcher. Uh, man, got to do a lot of meet and greet, get out there, mingle with some people. Uh, really fun event. And then I got to go out to Truist Park, man, and watch two-time guest, uh, Austin Riley, walk it off. So, man, good weekend in the A, bro. Hey, man. I'm very, very jealous, man. The the pictures didn't do it justice, I'm sure, but, you know, shout out to you and, and the athletes for hold, holding it down, doing your thing, you know, getting the podcast out there, getting the supplements out there, getting the sponsors out there, just doing big things, man. But speaking of somebody that's doing big things, let's get right to the biggest interview in podcasting this week. Our guest, Arkansas baseball star, Michael Turner. All right, Michael, my man, how are we doing tonight? Good, how are you? We are blessed. Uh, as always, we love having baseball guys on. Um, you know, another Arkansas stud here with us. So, you know, before we get into, you know, your story, you know, and, and really diving deep into, you know, your college, you know, career, I got to know, man, we ask all the guys that come on, you know, what, are they a movie guy and is baseball movies your thing? If so, what is your go-to baseball movie? Uh, I wouldn't say much of a movie guy. Uh, I got to be pretty bored to kind of sit down just for a while and watch one. But if I had to go with the baseball movie, I'd probably say Moneyball. Uh, I've probably seen it two or three times and I've liked it every time. So it's uh, it's, it's an interesting movie. It, it takes you through the business and the, it's more of a smart guys baseball movie, not so much a, a, a Jim or a Randy type movie. You know, I kid, but, you know. I love the Sandlot. Don't joke on me, man. There you go. Sandlot's <laughs> a good one. Um, but Moneyball is just in a, in, a, in a different realm of baseball movie, but a good one nonetheless. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we didn't bring you on to talk about movies. We brought you on here to talk about you. So let's, let's get down to it, man. Tell us a little bit about where you're from and how you grew up. So I'm from a small town in Warren, Ohio. Uh, I went to Champion High School. Uh, I graduated with about, I think it was 120 in my class. So it was pretty small. Uh, not a whole lot of exposure to uh, college scouts or anything like that, other than the little travel ball that I played. Um, actually, Kent was my first offer. So we'll get into that. But yeah, I kind of just accepted my first offer. And uh, yeah, grew up in a really small town. So, you know, your dad, he, he played pro ball a little bit. Tell me a little bit about his story. And, you know, you said you grew up in a small town. Was your dad like the guy in that town? Uh, he's not. Well, so he grew up in Ohio. It was actually called Grand Valley. It was about 20 minutes down the road. So 
he's uh he's more of the guy in that location than he is a champion but uh yeah he coached us growing up um up until high school and actually helped out my freshman year a little bit but yeah he played uh eight years bounced around with the yankees twins and mets and cross paths with some pretty cool guys uh he was actually andy pettit's roommate for a while uh played with Derek jeter mariano rivera so he's got some pretty cool stories nice nice so was your dad your favorite player growing up yeah so i didn't i never really got i don't think i ever saw him play professionally um but the main the last thing i really remember growing up of watching him actually play was slow pitch softball so i have some pretty fun memories there but yeah, I mean, people ask me all my all the time what my favorite team is, and it's kind of it's kind of hard not to say the Yankees just because they drafted them out of high school. So, so then, obviously, you don't get a chance to see your dad, you know, play so much growing up. But you know, who were you a fan of, like of the game? Like, who who are you watching as as many times as you can? Who's your favorite player then? So when I was younger, I would always say Derek Jeter. I actually got a poster on him in my uh, my room at home. Um, but getting older a little bit, I kind of started zoning in on my position. So I'm a big fan of uh, Salvador Perez and JT Realmuto. I've actually done a lot of studying on Realmuto and just kind of try to model a lot of my catching game around him. But yeah, those are those are definitely my main three for sure. Nice. I mean, can't beat those three. Obviously, um, three guys that are that are amazing at at the position. But was baseball the only sport that you played growing up or were you kind of a multi-sport guy no I played so prior to high school nobody really believes this but one of my favorite sports was soccer uh I loved it growing up and played a lot actually then when I got to high school it was just basketball and baseball so I had a lot lot of fun playing basketball um but baseball was pretty much year-round Michael can I tell you here here we go again no before we get to basketball before we get to basketball Daniel we're going to address soccer because I love soccer Michael but Daniel cannot get past the fact that there are ties man like how do I can't get him to to even he went and watched one guest of ours go play she played for University of Memphis she came down there to Florida to play but he won't watch it just because of the tie man like I don't know what to do I don't know how to help him yeah yeah I don't know man I personally don't like it either but you know, it's uh, it's part of it. You kind of just get used to it over time. But yeah, I definitely agree with you. I don't like the ties and anything. All right, so we we got to address the basketball part now because mm-hmm. you like many of your 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 baseball guys that come on this show, they immediately tell me, yeah, when when I was you know growing up, I play play basketball. I could hoop, mm-hmm. but re- really, could you play basketball? Yeah, I, I was, I was all right. Like I said, it was a pretty small high school. We were division three in just about every sport, but I, uh, I got that thousand point mark. I was a shooter. So I think I had like right around 1100 points. And I would say probably between eight and 900 of them were from three pointers. So I was the, I was a shooter guy. Can you, can you shoot it now? Yeah, I still got a little bit, not as good, but a little bit. I actually believe him, Daniel, relative to the other guests. Yeah, I mean, he, he he's not as as, hey, let me tell you about this one time. He's very like humble brag, like low key. Yeah, you know, I was a thousand point scorer, but, you know, no big deal. You know, little, <laughs> little things like that. But Small school. Um, yeah, I, I'm sure you could probably still hoop a little bit right now. Yeah. Um, so talk to me a little bit about high school. So you, you're you're playing soccer, baseball. Uh, basketball eventually you get to high school you go you know what let me narrow this down to basketball and baseball um 
you know, being in Ohio, I'm sure playing multiple sports, you know, is, is something that you probably got to do as far as the seasons go. Mm -hmm. um, but do you feel like playing multiple sports helped you or hindered you in comparison to probably some of the guys that you know that could play baseball year round? Yeah, I absolutely think it helped, um, especially with the soccer thing. I think footwork has really helped me. So when I was in high school, I actually didn't start catching until senior year of high school. So I, uh, I played a lot of shortstop and I was pitcher closer kind of deal. Um, but yeah, I think footwork definitely helped with that, whether it's turning double plays at shortstop or footwork at catch, like catching when I'm thrown to second base or anything like that. I definitely think it carried over. Sure. Yeah, it's um, very, I think, one of the things that's very overrated, you know, <laughs> when people start, parents especially, when they start saying, well, my kid needs a hitting coach, they need a fielding coach, they need a pitching coach, they need all these things. I don't have time to do all these other sports. But, you know, I, I believe, like you believe, is that, you know, all the other sports help you build the skills yeah. to be better. And really just you don't even realize it until you start. Your, mm -hmm. your footwork probably just was great yep. all of a sudden and you're like, yep. well, what do I, what do I attribute that to? Um, you know, your reflex time, you're able to cut, move, and do different things a lot faster than the other guys. Mm -hmm. um, but in high school, just, you know, just to throw out some of the, the, the stats, your team won state your senior season. You were named all league, all region, all state, all world, all everything during your season, senior season. You were named district player of the year, named vindicator athlete of the year during your senior season, named all league and baseball for four years at champion. You hold the high school record in batting average and career RBIs. Safe to say that you were a stud and probably you, you enjoyed a, a lot of, uh, of time at, at champion high school, I would imagine. Yeah. So that that's still one of my best baseball memories to this day. Um, that was the first ever state title for, uh, for baseball and my sister actually played softball there too so one of my favorite memories was we actually won the state title and she got a chance to see it um and then drove back a couple hours and then she had to play in her state final game so the whole we got the team bus and we drove straight to her game and we walked in carrying the trophy and the place just kind of went nuts so it was it was a really cool experience did they win it yeah they did Man. wow yeah Man, what now I got to ask the question, who, who was better, you or her? Oh, it was definitely her. She, uh, she lit it up in high school. She was Gatorade player of the year, senior year. She had a ton of division one offers. So she, uh, she definitely beat me in that category. She, uh, fun fact, uh, this was the first year I ever beat her in home runs for a season, but we also played about 15 more games. So she said it doesn't count, but she let you know that I, didn't she? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. Absolutely. He's uh he's he's unique again. Like I actually believe he can hoop, and then he actually came on here and said a family member. Usually everybody's just quick and arrogant. Says, "Of course it's me," but no, Mike, Mike passed it over. Yeah, he, I'm I'm yep. sure I'm sure family dinners were really really fun to be at. You know, having to hear that all the time. Yeah, a little competitive for sure. Then Dad throws a Trump card. You know, I'm a Yankee dude. Whatever. Yeah, can't compete with that. <laughs> he's like he. You know, you ever heard of Mariano Rivera? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, all right, man, you have an amazing senior season. Well, you're, you're actually your, your entire career champion was, was awesome. Um, but when did you start getting on college's radar and when did you go, you know, this baseball thing might can carry me to the next level? 
Yeah. Um, it's kind of a wild story. So <clears throat> I committed to Kent my freshman year of high school. So the story leading up to that is what's a little bit wild. I went to a real, I don't even remember the school's name. I went to a camp and prior to that, I had a summer ball coach when I was like 13 or 14, he caught in the big leagues for a while and he gave me my first set of used Wilson gear and I was still shortstop at the time. He said, Hey, you're going to catch at the next level. And I thought he was crazy because I, I didn't even have a catcher's mitt. So I go to that camp I was telling you about, and you got to write down two positions that you play. So I had the catcher's gear with me. I just wrote down uh, shortstop and catcher. So we're going through the camp and they do their little catcher showcase. So I throw on the gear for the first time and I do some pop times at second base and put up a good number. So a scout from, I think it was the assistant coach at the time at Kent saw me and put those numbers up at that camp. And they invited me to their invite only camp. So a couple of weeks down the road, I go to that camp, uh, same situation. I have shortstop and uh, catcher written down. And after the camp was over, they have the, their little inner squad because these are all invite only kids and you're trying to figure out who, who can play and who can't. So naturally they got me catching. Never caught in a game in my whole life. That camp was just a coach throwing to me and I was doing pop times. So first time ever catching in the game, uh, pitcher comes in super wild. I think he walked the guy on four pitches. I had two fastballs. It was just, it wasn't going well. So the guy that he walked was actually being recruited for speed to Kent. So it was like their fast guy they were trying to get. So he steals on the first pitch and I throw him out by like five feet or something crazy. So they stopped the scrimmage, send that kid back to first base and said, do that again. So I throw him out again, and they stopped the game, pulled me out, and said, we're going to offer you. And I had to kind of break it down for him, be like, hey, I've, I've never caught before and all this stuff. And they said, yeah, that's fine, just bring the arm. So I actually committed to Kent as a catcher-closer. It would have been freshman summer going into sophomore year of high school. So an interesting note to you talking about that and put that other position. All year, me and Randy were watching Tennessee games, and they kept talking about how Evan Russell was a catcher in high school. And Evan only caught five innings, but what he did do was go to multiple camps in which he mm -hmm. did the can uh, the catcher as the second position, and so he had all those times just like you were talking about. And so yeah. there was this assumption, no different than you just said, you hadn't done any catching, but people mm -hmm. thought he had. And so all year people kept saying he's catching. So a similar story that was pretty interesting that you brought that yeah. up. Yeah, that's cool. It's it's kind of amazing though, man. You just kind of you have this belief in yourself that, I mean, obviously you got to believe that you can do it because they're saying, you know, Hey, just trust me. You, you're going to be projected as a catcher at the next level. And then lo, lo and behold, like you start showing flashes and then all of a sudden, what was the, what was the face, the faces like on those coaches when you told them that you had never caught before? It was just kind of shocked. They were just, they didn't really, I think it was more of me being nervous talking to a college coach when I was like 15 years old than anything. They're like, yeah, we don't care. Just, just bring the arm with you. And I was like, all right. I mean, at the time I didn't really know much about college baseball. Like I wouldn't even have been able to tell you that Arkansas was good at the time. I was very clueless. Um, I knew Kent was close to my house. They had a brand new, nice turf field. And it was just, I heard that, I think they told me at the time that they went to the, uh, the world series in 2012. So I was like, oh, they must be pretty good then. So they gave me two weeks, and I committed right away. So at that point, what happens for the rest of your your high school career until you go there? Are you catching, or are you you just so are actually, you on the bump? Like, what what yeah. where where are you? 
Yeah, I stayed at shortstop. I didn't start catching until my last year. The, the year we won state is, was my first full year of catching. So even though, like, I was trying to get behind the play, but they just – we didn't have a shortstop and we had a good enough catcher to kind of go with it. So I just continued to play at shortstop, and I would come in for the sixth and seventh inning and throw 18 fastballs, and that was it. Okay. So, I mean, I, I guess the the answer is really that, you know, why was it Kent State that you that you committed to? And I'm assuming, you know, based on what you said, you know, they a were the first people to give you an opportunity, believe in you, and they thought that you had this special, you know, ability early. And obviously, they were they were 100 right about that. Yeah, um, I don't want to say it's a regret, but I the only thing I do regret is committing so early, man. I just I wasn't really familiar with how the whole recruiting process worked. I didn't know who good at the time I just wish I kind of would have waited a year or two just to see who kind of reached out or not but yeah I just took that opportunity and ran with it so Michael speaking of Kent State you know we like to do a little research here and athletics have been great you said they went to the World Series in 2012 that's all fine and good but some of the alumni here as far as actors we got Drew Carey Arsenio Hall (laughs) Steve Harvey Michael Keaton I mean I mean, this this is some notable alumni. Batman went to Kent State? Batman went to Kent State. Don (laughs) King? Take that for data. (laughs) I mean, this is some high-level stuff here, man. So, I got to add, obviously, you did commit very early. Uh, You know, you would call it a regret, but what are your first day on campus as you're going to go there? What are the emotions? What's the feeling like first day there? Oh, man, I was, at the time, freshman year, I was a a homebody, man. I was pretty – pretty sad about leaving home but I mean once you're there for a little bit and you realize how much fun it's going to be and I was only 45 minutes from home so I could really go home whenever I wanted to but I was excited nervous but yeah pretty emotional the whole time no I think that's pretty normal so freshman year you know 29 appearances hit 280 obviously sophomore years when things started to get hot for you you go into your sophomore year what what did you learn your freshman year that maybe that you didn't have before you got to Kent State uh, mainly a couple things. One was trusting myself, just kind of keep doing what I was doing just to have success at the plate. Um, some minor tweaks were trying to be made here and there, and it was just – it was getting in my head a little bit. I just didn't – it wasn't a good fit for what was trying to be changed. So, anyways, I just kind of went back to what I was doing. I got to work with my dad this summer a little bit, but I also went and played summer ball in the NECBO with the Ocho State Waves my freshman year, and – that was a really big learning experience for me. It was kind of my first exposure to some very good pitching with a wood bat. So that summer and then the next summer, my sophomore summer, when I got to go to the Cape, um, that was a it was a big experience for me, especially the Cape. Well, speaking of your sophomore year, we're all Mac team, 369 batting average, 22 runs scored, 52 hits, 42 RBIs, slugging percentage at 539, 12 doubles, four home runs. You talked about, you know, maybe the, the summer really Take helped that you. Data. I mean, are we, you think it's the experience? Did you have a different approach due to that experience in the summer? What led you to that that success? Or was it dad working with you, man? Yeah, I give dad some credit there. Um, he knows my swing just as good as anybody. And he just, whenever I get in my head a little bit, he'll kind of set me straight. But I don't know, man. I think it's, I, I worked really hard that summer and building some strength. I think I got a lot stronger. I think once you get that freshman year under your belt, you're just, it's kind of a comfort thing. When I got back on campus for the second time, I just felt way more comfortable. Like it was just, it was kind of my time to go because freshman year we had, I think it was 13 seniors 
so it was kind of it was like their show it was just I mean it was all about them which is how it should be but just came back feeling a lot more comfortable than I did the first year you know I didn't even mention the one alumni that did go to Kent State Nick Saban yeah you you can't like that guy though I mean you know Arkansas guy now I got a question for you man do you have like a personal vendetta against Bowling Green uh (laughs) I don't really like the field two different occasions you you, you, grand slams man you just I mean they got (laughs) is it like t-work out there Michael they got trash pitchers what's Uh, going on I don't know man I think I honestly think it has something to do with the field surrounding so they have uh green pine trees all the way around the field and i always felt like i saw the ball really well there well that's that's i would say so so junior year we know obviously we had covid and, and we know you know you get started don't not really but so we're going to jump to senior year you played and started 25 games all 25 starts at kesher the slash was 337 439 640 six home runs 22 rbis 30 runs looking back take that for data looking back on your time at kent state what was your favorite part of being there besides uh, being 45 minutes from home definitely two things number one the guys some of the I still talk to a lot of guys there and that's still my best friends I spent four years with those guys and I'm still super close with them but uh winning the conference freshman year and getting a chance to go to the regional was uh it was it was special um I didn't really have any exposure to that like for example a charter flight I was like in heaven so I get to Arkansas and that's like everybody's mad if we don't get one of those so it was it was definitely a different world there, man. If you if you lose in the tournament, you're out. You don't get a chance to go to the regional. And we did it my first year there, so it was a it was really fun. So we all know that you end up in Arkansas. Tell us how that came about and why did you choose Arkansas? Yeah, so senior year, I didn't play very many games, like you said. Um, I tweaked my hamstring pretty bad. I was supposed to be out eight weeks. Tried to tell the coach, look, I'm, I'm going to try to come back after four and just finish out uh, my career here. And he was basically didn't want me to in a way. So I said, all right, fine. I'm just I'm going to get in the portal and use my last year somewhere else. I said, all right, go for it. So I did. And I I had a lot of teams. I think it was 34 teams reached out in the portal. And I narrowed it down to about four at the time. I think it was um, Kentucky, Houston, Clemson and there was another one anyways I was uh about two days of, away from committing to Kentucky and obviously followed baseball really close that year and I went to dinner with my girlfriend actually in Kent and I would just jokingly said like hey they must have forgot to send me that email from Arkansas just like messing with her and I'm not joking 10 15 minutes later I look at my phone and I had an email from coach Thompson and I just she said she never forget my face so it was a super cool experience, and yeah, once I got that email, I responded right away. Uh, the next day, I was on a FaceTime with Coach Van Horn, and yeah, that was that. Let's talk about that emotion for a second before you go to gym. I mean, is it like it's an emotional moment? You can tell us, man. We're all friends here. Yeah. Do you have some tears, man? Uh, I wouldn't say tears, but I was. It just kind of made your, my stomach drop. I just I was so excited because in '18 we actually came to play Arkansas when I was with Kent. And that was the first time that I got to experience SEC baseball and what it was like and calling the hogs. And it was just wild. So let me let me ask you one more question. Were you more nervous when you got that email or when you were on a call with Dave Van Horn? Um, probably the call just because everybody kind of he's just a legend in college baseball. So it was kind of surreal to get to talk to him face to face. 
Look, all I know is Michael needs to teach a class on being humble because he's done it all episode. He casually just dropped 34 teams, reached out to him, and, like, didn't say it with any kind of, like – you know, brag to it, it's just, you know, kind of narrow, you know, we've, we've had guys that transfer over, they'll say yes, three or four teams. He said 34. So no big deal. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you talk about being 45 minutes from home and now you're going to Fayetteville. It's not 45 minutes from home. And then you also talked about the charter just and everything. And I've seen the, we've all seen the facilities at Arkansas, um, man, maybe second to none. So what is that culture shock like, man, when you get there? Hold on, Jim. I can answer that for him because he he might be real humble, but I'm I'm gonna give you the truth. Tell tell me, based on this clip, Michael, how you felt. Um, strikeouts with the golden flag. Sixty-four walks in his time there, Kent. Fifty-eight strikeouts. Turner pulls on the right. This ball's off the building. It's gone. His first race back on. There must have been palm trees. You could see I, it. I mean, he hit it. He hit it off the building, Jim. How do you think you like it, culture shock? No, man. He was just that the the gear never left, and it just stayed in from Kent State. He just rolled right into to Fayetteville doing his thing, man. Heck yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't know, man. I seen when Brady. I seen the video when he first walked into the to the practice facilities and I was and I saw the look on his face and then we had to talk about it and that it's just unreal. It is, man. The facilities there are special. Uh, everybody asked me what the biggest difference was and that difference was between Ken there and there's a lot of things, man, from charter flights. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good example of starters, but on the field it's more of like for me it was I feel the pitchers Everything, every pitch that they threw was like five or six mile an hour harder, whether it was better or not. It probably was a little bit better in every category, but there's probably maybe one or two pitchers from each team in the Mac that can compete in the SEC. It's just, it's a big jump. So I think the Cape really prepared me for that. Um, most of the guys in the SEC go play there and not a lot of guys from the Mac get to go play there. So it was, I was really happy with that experience, but yeah, like you said, the facilities there are special, man. You can get as good as you want to get. You have every uh, every opportunity to do anything you need to do. And going from what we had at Kent to there was just – it was like a dream, really. Yeah, no doubt. So, the question I got for you before we get into, like, you know, hitting it into the season, you know, you knew the arm talent that was at Arkansas. And, you know, you talked about the Cape and obviously Kent and everything. But, man, knowing the arms that you were going to be catching for at Arkansas, how excited were you to be able to catch with – for guys like that yeah man I was pumped um when I was talking to coach Van Horn on that zoom one thing that he said that stuck with me was that if you can play at, in the SEC and have success you can successfully play in double a at the same time so that kind of stuck with me I was like well I mean dang that's that's a pretty big jump from the max so yeah going into it um I didn't really know what to expect I knew they had some real arms like everybody knows Kevin Cobbs obviously he didn't come back but they're, the roster's so deep, man. The main difference for me was from Kent, we had 35 guys on the roster. So when I got there in the fall at Arkansas, we had 36 pitchers on the roster. So it was like – it was – one of the hardest things about going there for somebody that's never experienced it for me was trying to get to know every pitcher in such a short amount of time. So in the fall, you're trying to earn a spot. So I'm just – I'm doing everything I can to kind of get to know these guys as fast as possible, get to know what they throw, what they like to throw in certain counts. And it was hard for a little bit. But once you uh, 
once you start talking to these guys and the way they go about their business, it just it slows the game down a little bit just because everybody works so hard. And like I say, I call curveball and I'm expecting it to break a lot. It's like you just get used to things like that if you catch a bullpen or two with each guy. So when I got there, I kind of set the tone really early. I was like, look, I'll come catch whenever you guys want me to. Just give me a call. I don't care what time it is and I'll be there. So I think that definitely carried over the season. Mike, so, Mike. I got to ask, though, man, because I've listened to a lot of post-game conferences and, you know, they it, it always inevitably ends up being you and one of the one of the guys that pitched that night. And they talk to the pitcher and the pitcher's always like, well, Michael just had the right. He called the right pitches. I just <laughs> threw what he told me to throw. Are you calling the game or is it a conversation inning by inning that you're having with the coach as far as how you want to approach different batters or is it strictly on you? Yeah, so I called throughout the year, I would say 99% of every pitch thrown. Um, like I was talking about in the fall, I think it was it's a tryout for everybody. It doesn't matter if you're a returner or not. So they uh, they got comfortable. I called all the pitches at Ken as well. So Coach Hobbs in the fall, let me call all the pitches and I thought it went pretty well, so I think that uh, that built that trust up, and he let me do it most of the time throughout the year. But, yeah, we had that uh, little earpiece in, so whenever it was, like, a really big situation and I was a little uneasy about the pitch that was called, I would just look over there, and, like, most of the time he would just say, go with whatever you want right here, or maybe he had an idea, like he's fastball outside or something simple. But, yeah, I called most of them. So, so let me pose a question back at you, Daniel, because Daniel was a college pitcher uh, himself, Michael. Um, you know, a, a lot of we watch a lot of these games. Um, the majority of guys don't get to call, call the pitches, but uh, Logan Tanner is obviously another one like Michael Turner. What does it say, Daniel, like uh, to know that you have a catcher back there that is, you know, that good that he can make the calls? I mean, I, I think when you break it down even further, when you have that kind of trust in somebody like, that's a, a big time key when you know that you're not back there having, you know, to stand on the mound, wait for the relay of the of the call from the dugout and the dugouts looking at notes. But like you as a as a pitcher, see things a little bit differently than the way it's written or, you know, in stats. Um, but, you know, having a guy like a catcher that can call your game is huge, man. It, it's it's trust more than anything. And it's the ability for, you know, putting your faith in one another. The two guys that are making it happen as opposed to some outside party, you know, not that the coach is not a key integral part of the game, but like he's really like not the person delivering the pitch. So, you know, it's kind of cool. I, I'm, I'm impressed, you know, that that you're able you know, to quickly get behind the dish and like you're calling pitches at Kent State and now, you know, it just carried over. So, man, like I tip my hat to you, Michael. That's 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 big, big stuff, dude. Thank you. Appreciate it. So I got a question and you don't have to answer if you don't want to. But the the few catchers that we have had on have all had a pitcher on the staff that um, not like in a negative way, but like in a talent way that is the hardest one for them to catch. They say they say. They got to make sure they're extra ready when somebody's pitching. Is there is there a guy on the staff that's like that for you? In a way, yeah. Um, I just I don't want to make anybody look bad by saying it, but I think Wiggins would be that guy for me, just because he has such an electric arm that if you call fastball outside and he paints fastball inside on accident, it's hard to get there, man. He's throwing a hundred mile an hour, so. 
he uh you just you got to be locked in with him um the kids he's a stud man he's he's really fun to catch but you definitely got to be locked in i don't think you throw anybody under the bus when you make sure to say they throw 100 miles an hour i think they'll be all right <laughs> but uh getting to the hitting now you know you batted 323 on the season nine home runs 53 rbis 40 runs and then you know from a catching standpoint you threw out 13 guys still in base take um, that for data so i mean you know before we get into the season as a whole, but for your expectations of what you were hoping for at Arkansas individually to bring to the table, did you meet your expectations? Um, yes and no. Uh, I think I've, I feel like I've always been able to be a 300 hitter, but I mean, there's always room for improvement. So for me, I'm getting older, man. I, it's like, it's my fifth year in college baseball. So I expect myself to do that. Like when I was, 18 at Kent and these guys were 23 and 24 I was like yeah you guys should be better than me you're four years older five years older so I mean I just kind of put myself in those shoes and just expected that out of myself and then I had prior to the tournament I had a little funk I was like I don't know maybe 0 for 20 or something or whatever it was and I just I was getting hard on myself and I just kind of got back to my roots real quick and ended up having a good postseason run but yeah I mean yes and no yeah and so let's get to that um we are definitely not a show built around controversy and so I don't want to go that route what I want to do is I wanted to talk about to get in the thick of when you know Arkansas um has one of the most amazing fan bases you know that I mean literally I top five in my opinion but you know the rental player stuff came out like you said you were struggling what I want to do is opposed to focusing on the negative side of it how were you able to stay focused and be a professional and do your job and push that aside um the fans here made it pretty easy man um I actually had it was Peyton Stovall who showed me that when it first came out on Twitter and I was like yeah I mean whatever I just kind of blew it off I kind of expected it with when this many people watch the games not everybody's gonna like you and you can't please everyone so I kind of just blew it off and then it got to the point where I had to turn my phone off because Twitter was going crazy we I had so many people from Arkansas having my back so it was really cool to see man um they the pan, the fans there are a different breed of passionate and it's super fun to play for them i mean even the highs or lows like you'll have a person here or there say something bad but the 99 percent of them are just they're the best man and it's not just baseball either like if you go to a football or basketball game that place is crazy so yeah i was i was super happy to see that my last year and you said it best because these two spend countless hours trying to tell me that there are way more good than bad. But if somebody talks about a guy that I know or we've had on the show or whatever, I'll like clap back and they're like, you're wasting your time. Like, just let him be an idiot. And they, and they, they spend countless hours and I still do it. So, Mike, I don't know if I'll ever be fixed, but, you know, it is what it is. Oh, I get it. But, uh, you know, a series I want to jump to to start off with, um, you know, I'm an LSU fan, and uh, what y'all did to my beloved Tigers in Fayetteville wasn't very nice. And in game two of that series specifically, man, you teed off, dude. Like, so with, you know, LSU being the name that they are, and uh, they were, you know, I think ranked like in the, like around, somewhere around like 16, 17 at the time, and they come into Bomb Walker, and y'all just dismiss them like that. What was that like? Oh, it was fun, man. I was early on in the season, we were playing some smaller name schools and I was just kind of getting my first taste of Bob Walker and how it went on game day. And then the SEC came around and it just hit a different level, man. We had, we would be stretching four hours for the game and the line's already 300 people deep. So it was super exciting, man, especially to get to play a team as famous as LSU. It was just, I don't know. I feel like I was 
even more locked in than I was early on in the season. Um, yeah, it was it was really fun. So you, so you talk about it being electric at Baumwalker. Just you know that first that first night game that's like sold out. Are you more nervous or excited because of that environment? A little bit of both, I think. Well, I shouldn't even say nervous, man. In the fall, it was like we had the Fall World Series and it was an inner squad and we had three thousand people there. So it was, you just get used to it really early on because they come to every. Um, so the the night games are definitely more exciting for me, man. If somebody gets a base hit or a home, hits a home run, it's like it, you need earplugs at that place, man. It's it's wild. So it was it was definitely more exciting than nervous. No doubt. So, you know, you'll have ups and downs and ultimately, uh, you know, those downs go in the SEC tourney and don't end up uh, going the way y'all want. Y'all don't end up hosting like, you know, the three of us were discussing all year, obviously, with our predictions. We thought you would, you know, be a host team. And so you don't. And um, you all ultimately are going to go to Stillwater. Um, y'all have a little extra chip on your shoulder because you're you're not hosting or does it not matter? You're, you're ready, ready to play wherever. I wouldn't say a chip. I mean, maybe a little bit, but going into the postseason for me is just, it's time to go, man. There's a, it doesn't matter where you're playing. So we knew it was going to be a tough challenge going there, but once we got there, I thought it was really cool. That was one of my favorite stadiums we got to play at. So um, I don't know about a chip, but I, I will say that we were, that was the most locked in I've seen us in probably the whole year. So you said you liked their stadium. Um, what was it like uh, beating them in their stadium in advancing? <laughs> Oh my gosh, man. That was, that was probably the most fun I had playing all year, to be honest with you. That regional, I don't know if it'll ever be top, especially from the run scored perspective, man. It was like having an eight run lead wasn't safe. So <laughs> that place was electric from the fans were great. Um, beating somebody in their home field like that's really hard to do. And it's also really hard to watch seeing that heartbreak walking off the field when we beat them. So I feel for those guys because I, I feel like Arkansas went through the same thing the year prior. So I was just happy to be on the other end of it. Yeah, no doubt. So, you know, you say that was your favorite moment, but, you know, as much as y'all had fun, you got to do it again, man. Super regionals this time in Chapel Hill, you know, um, go, you've already been on the road, done it once. So, I mean, it's just business as usual, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, I wouldn't say it's more pressure. I personally think, and I still stick with this, if Oklahoma State beats us in that um, series, that they probably win the whole thing. I firmly believe that. I thought they were one of the best teams we played all year, and they were really hot at the time, too. So we had to play some really good baseball to get out of there, and then we went to Carolina, and I think after beating them, our confidence just kind of shot through the roof. And you could just kind of tell. When the game started, nobody was really nervous. It was just kind of lackadaisical a little bit, but still focused. But, yeah, man, from – from pitch one throughout those two games, it just – even when we went down, I don't, I don't know what it was, whatever, we walked it off. But when we went down prior to that, we were just talking to the dugout like everything was casual, like we weren't about to have to play a game three. So it was just a, a raging amount of confidence, and we just felt really good going to that series. Yeah, I love the respect factor you have uh... – for each other you say that about Oklahoma State and last year you know it's funny the Mississippi State guys came on and said the same thing about Notre Dame they were like that was the best team we played all the way through even winning the championship and they said had they beaten us we felt like they would have won it all so that's saying a lot about Oklahoma State and that's you keeping it real so you know I like that but my question on the UNC when you win the back-to-back -back games to advance because the last time we talked to a, a catcher that had a moment like that when Mississippi State did punch their ticket 
Logan Tanner talked about being on the bottom of the dog pile and how, while it was an amazing moment, he thought he might die. Did you have a similar situation? No, I got lucky. So being around a couple of dog piles at Kent, I learned the hard way. You don't want to be on the bottom. So uh, I was probably the first one out of the dugout when we walked it off, but I was the last one to the pile just for that reason. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Stay. I, as a matter of fact, I'll make sure I was the very last one. I've, I've seen guys that, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're trying to fly low key, but I, I see it on the playback. I see the guys who make sure they're dead last on top. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. All right, so you get to Omaha. We've been sitting here talking about all being all business, but man, when you get to Omaha, when you get to that stage, you want to be able to take it in. And the fact that y'all had the second day game as well, you know, obviously you have your practice. There's a parade on. Did you get a chance, man, to like just take it all in and and for what it really is? Yeah. So we got to the hotel and just kind of start winding down. And by winding down, I mean getting bags from Nike with all kinds of clothes and stuff in them. So. It was just, it was wild, man. You hear stories about all the stuff you get and how people treat you, but I actually just walked out of the room by myself and walked all the way down the field and saw the sign where it was just welcome to Omaha or whatever. And it's just, a, it's a wild feeling to get there because it's something you work for like your whole life. So when they actually, it was the day before the practices started, they just had an open field, just kind of let you walk out there and do whatever. So I walked out there by myself and just kind of did a 360, man, and just sat there for a second, kind of took it in. Then I actually FaceTimed some of my buddies back home at one of my, my, old, uh, my old roommates from Kent and just kind of let him see it just because everybody dreams about that, man. I just kind of almost wanted to show it off a little bit and be like, hey, look where I'm at right now. So it, it was really cool. Absolutely. You got to be proud of them. I mean, that's where it all starts. Obviously, you want to win a championship, but it all starts with getting Omaha. And when you get there, man, it's, it's obviously got to be surreal. So, you know, let's talk about a couple games that you had that were huge, man. Um, Stanford, you were four for six and Auburn, you were you were three for four, man. Um, you know, um, you obviously won both those games. We'll talk about those before we get into Ole Miss, man. Uh, just how much fun were you having? And, you know, obviously you're seeing the ball well, your, your team wins. How much fun were those games? Oh, it was a lot of fun. Um, like I said, the confidence thing carried over and Stanford got us early on in the season and there was, there was, they were a uh, pretty chirpy in that game. So we didn't forget about that. And I think it carried over a little bit and they got the message. So yeah, that was fun to be a part of, but seeing the ball. Well, man, I, I'll be honest with you. It's kind of hard to see at that part. Um, the, uh, the batter's eye there is just, it's really narrow. And as a lefty, I, I face mostly righties. So their arm and their release point was not on the batter's eye. And it was kind of, it was hard to pick up a little bit. So it took me that first game. It was just, it was definitely something to get used to. You just couldn't see it as good, but I mean, you could, I'm not making excuses or anything, but it was, it definitely was not easy to see at that park for sure. Yeah, no, you're not the first one to say it. I actually got a bone to pick with y'all. I mean, I was with, I was sitting with the the Battles family and the Tigers and that 17 runs that y'all decided to tack on, I like I was ready to go like tailgate between games, you know, get some food, get some drinks. And like that game was never going to end because y'all wouldn't stop scoring, bro. Like I was like, all right, man, enough's enough. Like y'all got this game under wraps. And like, you know, of course, all the Arkansas fans are love it. And I'm like, man, nah, like I'm, try I'm trying to get out of here. <laughs> yeah, I get it. That was fun, though, man. It's not that easy to score that many rounds. It was really fun to be a part of that. No doubt. But, you know, ultimately, you got to go up against Ole Miss. Um, you know, you you lose the first one. You come back and win the second one. But I want to talk about, you know, going back to because you're the catcher, you know, Connor Nolan's performances, uh, you know, obviously he pitched amazing against Stanford as well. But, you know, man, just 
that dude was that dude. Like, I mean, he was so amazing. Like, as, as a catcher, man, this, how awesome was it just watching him be in the zone like that? It was super cool. Um, he works his butt off, man. He's a dog. I mean that, too. He's uh, He'll compete every pitch for you, regardless of how it's going on his end. He's going to give you everything he's got. And I'm not just saying that because I'm supposed to, but I mean it. He, uh, he's the guy you want on the mound in any big-time situation. And everybody got a glimpse of that, man. I saw it from the fall early on to the, all the way through the year or so. And he was a ball magnet, too, which was really fun to watch. I'm getting picked <laughs> about three of them. And he made a play on all three, so – it was cool to see, but yeah, man, if those balls hit a, a different pitcher, it, it might put him out for the game. He didn't get hit in any real good spots to get hit. So he was pretty beat up and you would have never known. Randy, let me ask you, man, if Daniel gets hit by some pitches or by some hits like that, you think he's going to field or you think he's going to limp off? At this age? No, not this he age. Might just right, fall. No, in, his, in his prime. You think, oh, no, no, no. You think, they, you think Daniel's tough an guy. OG like that? OG, tough guy. Right now, he might just never get up. No, I, I just lay there. <laughs> I, I reach my hands up like basketball and soccer players do. Oh, um, just, just pick me up, please. Shot. <laughs> I feel you. All right, so to flip the script, you know, talking about Connor's dominance, Um, you know, uh, Brady Tiger, he, he lives in the same town as me. He's like a little brother. Um, He's a three-time guest of our show. Um, You know, he comes out there, um, hits a couple batters. You know, you're a senior leader. Um, you know, what do you say to him in the moment? What do y'all guys say to him after the game? You know, letting him know, especially because he may be needed that next day. Um, and we know his stuff's electric and we know what he can do. So what do, what do you say to him as a, as a leader? I just went out there and told him how it was. That he was one of the best pitchers in the country. And I, st- I feel that way just from catching the first bullpen I ever caught for him. Man, I knew he was going to be electric. And he's he's still new, man. He He's only through like – two pitches the whole year and he's got a very very solid five pitch arsenal so i think when he becomes a starter next year he's gonna show some people what he's got man because in the roles that he came in his curveball so good they can't hit it so he can throw it every pitch but as a starter you're gonna need to develop a little bit more and he's got it so i'm excited to see but in that situation man it was just try to keep him calm i know it's a really big stage in omaha and everything like that but after the game i I texted him actually and said man you're a dog just keep your mind right we're gonna need you tomorrow or the next day so i don't know just try to keep him as positive as possible and uh i get it man i I, i've never been in that situation as a freshman but i can understand where he's coming from well you know and i texted myself and he he said he was chomping at the bit hoping for an opportunity the next day he i mean i've known him for a while he's not scared of the moment i that's the thing you know a lot a lot of people were saying oh the freshman got scary choked um you you could make that argument easily that's what it looks like but i don't i mean you know you know how it is sometimes you just you don't have your stuff man you don't have your best stuff and i think that's just might have been the case um, but to flip to the other side, because you seem like such a sh- uh, straight shooter, man, uh, our last guest was Dylan DeLucia, you know, um, that's that same night against Nolan. I mean, he was absolutely electric. Like, um, you know, you had to face him batting like, uh, I mean, was he just, I mean, it was just one of those games, man. He was just that good. I've gotten this question a few times and I'm not taking anything away from him. He is an absolute stud. And the main thing that I saw as a batter was that he had, a complete four pitch mix to both sides of the plate and he was throwing all four wherever he wanted it and I don't care who it is if you can do that on a day you're going to dominate the whole game so I honestly compared him to Will McIntyre a few times it's like nothing that's completely overpowering but it doesn't have to be if you're going to throw it exactly where you want it every pitch so it it really reminded me of how Will got deep into games just because he could locate everything and 
early on in the counts, I felt like I was down 0-2 every time I got up there. So that makes it hard on a hitter, man. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So, you know, my final question, and I'll turn you over, man. You know, obviously the ride in Omaha ends, but, I mean, you know, you went to Arkansas. You still got there. Um, you had major success, I feel, individually, you know. So, final thoughts, man, on your on your one year with Arkansas. Oh, just super thankful, man. I'm, I would have never thought that I would have been there three or four years ago. So, just getting to be a part of it was a great experience for me, and I, I really think that it's going to help me at the next level, and I mean that um, – I don't think I'm going to be surprised by anything, especially talent-wise. Like, I feel like if we took our team right now and put them in single A or double, high A or double A, we could compete. I really, truly believe that. I think we have the arms to do it, the bats to do it from top to bottom. So, super, uh, like I said, super thankful to be there, not just the baseball team, but everybody around it from the nutritionists to the fans to everyone there. Man, they just they go out of their way to help everybody there, and it's it's a super enjoyable experience. So, Michael, before we get into what's next, I, I got a, a quick little clip for you. I just want you to, to hear and talk, talk me through it. Um, yeah, I think I can play those three positions pretty well. I'm still super comfortable at the corners. Um, I think uh, left-handed hitting catcher is still something that people look for. So, I mean, I'm just looking for that chance at this point. It's been my dream my whole life. That's what I work for every day. So. I'm lucky enough to get that chance. So that's obviously you talking about the next level, talking about pro baseball projections. So, you know, that was a bit ago. Um, obviously, today we're, you know, about a week away from, from draft. Mm -hmm. what, do you, what do you look at as far as projections for yourself at the next level? I, I still agree with the statements I made, man. I think a left-handed hitting catcher with – my experience at this point, especially from the calling the game aspect of things to all the arms that I've caught, I think uh, that's going to carry over. Um, I, I like even in that video, I didn't get to play corners a whole lot this year. Early on, I did, but I still feel really comfortable there. I've done it most of my life. So I don't know if they need a guy that can play multiple positions uh, and hit a little bit. I'm their guy. Do you, do you think it's beneficial or more of a hindrance? at the next level to know that you can play multiple positions or, you know, I, I guess it's gotta be a plus, right? I would think so. Um, like my thought is maybe early on, I'm a backup catcher. If I get called up, say I'm a backup catcher for a while and third baseman gets hurt, maybe I need to go fill in for him. So I think it's always a positive having guys who can play multiple positions, um, not just catcher, but maybe the shortstop can play center field or anything like that. So even growing up, I feel like people are starting to, zone in on one position and like we said about multiple sports I think it's still good to play multiple positions and the more positions you play I feel like the more attractive you are as a prospect absolutely I mean I, I if I was making the call I would draft you before everybody number one well we saw that multiple position thing with in off the bench guest Austin Riley he was not a third baseman growing up he's a pitcher played some infield and then when he got to Atlanta He's playing outfield, and now, now obviously now it looks kind of silly because he's stud on third base, maybe a gold glover, MVP conversation. So, yeah, I think it's definitely. But, Michael, look, we've, we've had a lot of fun. It's been some great stories. We're going to play a game. It's called this or that. There's very simple rules, Michael. You can't say neither, and you can't say both. You got to pick one or the other. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. All right, I'm going to give you some softballs to start out. Then we're going to get into the meat of the potatoes of this thing. Okay. 
All right. Like, what do you like better, getting hits or throwing someone out? Uh, throwing someone out. All right. To follow that up, one person that you've thrown out, who's your favorite? Oof. There's been so many. That that dude at the camp that he threw out. No, twice. no. Yeah. I think it's got, it's got – I mean, that's definitely when you came on the mat. But was there anybody this year in the SEC, since, you know, you said you jumped up kind of in the competition level, was there anybody that you're like, hell yeah? Um, Caden Wallace in fall ball. <laughs> His own teammate. I like it. I like was it. There, was there anybody that did like a delay steal or something and you just you, – you didn't throw the ball and you're just like, damn. No, dude, I didn't. That dude, that dude got me. No, I wasn't. Uh, the one Let I it fly. Was, uh Bradfield, but he's too quick, man. I couldn't get him. Yeah, if he, he steals on so you, fast. we don't. Hold, yeah, we don't hold that against. It, you. It, it, as, as long as Tim Elko <laughs> don't steal a base on you, we're good. Yeah, yeah, we'll handle that one. Absolutely. All right, so this is this is we asked this question. We've asked it a lot. You are the last person we're going to ask this question to on the show. You got to end the debate, Michael. Okay. Is a hot dog a sandwich? I don't think so. Thank you. All right. The debate uh, is over. The debate is over. There's, there's no there's no thinking about it. I mean, it's not. Look, I had like five Back. or six out of like 40. I mean, the odds were definitely not stacked in my favor, but I had like five or six join me on this. Yeah. You get some of them weirdos once in a while. There you oh, go. Oh, you called me a weirdo. There you go. All right. So now we're going to get in. Would you rather attend the party or host the party? probably attend cleanup sucks absolutely i'm completely agree with you that's what uh, my wife does a great job all right so would you rather be smart or be funny that's a tough one man um probably smart because i feel like there's uh there's more money to be made on that side that's true and if you're smart you could probably figure out how to be funny right yeah. Anytime someone talks about making money, they speak to your heart, Randy. I know. That, yeah, absolutely. All right. So would you rather go to a any concert or any sporting event? Uh, sporting event, for sure. All right. What sporting event? Like, which sport? What are we doing? We're talking like World Series, Super Bowl, World Cup. What are we talking? Um, I would say the World Series or an MLB home run derby. You look, Albert Pujols is going to be in it this year, man. I think you yeah. can probably snag some tickets. Yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> Absolutely. He might not hit any out, but that's not what we're here for. No, I love Pujols. All right, so the next one is massive success by accident or modest success on purpose? Probably modest success on purpose. You know, originally when we started doing this question, I thought the same thing. And then I listened to a podcast and – the end goal is to have massive success, right? Yeah. But now I don't care how I get there. <laughs> you know, I heard it asked, like, would you rather be given a hundred million or earn 10 million? Well, don't be a dummy and and yeah. take 90 million less. Yeah, that's fair. If you're doing <laughs> that aspect, I, I have to agree. He's that. a hardworking guy, Randy. Don't take absolutely that <laughs> no. You said it, you answered the way I thought you would just because of the whole episode. You've been super humble and I completely expected it. I just know that you're gonna have massive su- success and you've worked hard for it. Thanks, All right, man. listen, now we're going to get into this. Would you rather be a hero or a villain? Hero. Who is your favorite superhero? Oh, I don't know, man. 
I was I mean, a big Batman sp- went to Kent State. I was, <laughs> That's true. I was a Spider-Man fan growing up. Does that count? Absolutely. Yeah, we'll go with that one. All right, man. This is the last one, and this is the staple question. We are going to judge you on how you answer this question. All right. Would you rather do five years in prison or <laughs> ten years in a coma? Five years in prison. Michael, 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 you've been so honest with us this whole episode. And right here at the end, you're going to tell us you want to spend hard time in the pen, bro? I think I would rather, regardless of, well, I shouldn't say regardless of why, but I would rather (laughs) spend five years there than waste 10 years. I respect it. I respect it. And plus, you could probably work on your craft. Yeah, you work out, get strong. I mean, Michael, I'll, I'll tell you like I tell every guest that answers the question that way. I'm 37 and I know what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. I've never been to jail, but I know that I would not be good at it. (laughs) But what I do know is I'm good at sleeping and napping. So I'll take that coma. I'll take that 10 year nap. And when I wake up, I'll figure it all out, man. Cause I ain't going to jail. That's fair. That's fair. So Michael, man, before we let you run, anything you want to plug or promote? Oh, not really. Am I missing something? Should I? Should I be? I mean, I, I I got it for you, man. I got it. Every everybody is thrown off by the plug and promote, but I, let me do this for you. If y'all want to know more about Michael Turner, the man, the athlete, the character, just the overall good dude, you can follow him on Instagram. That's at mbturner10. You'll see baseball you'll see family you'll see life and hopefully this time next week we'll see pro baseball player michael my man we wish you nothing but the best anything that we can do for you let us know but hey best of luck dude hey man thank you guys for having me this was awesome i really appreciate it all right that's michael turner everybody we're gonna take a break we're gonna plug our sponsor so we can pay them bills when we come back we got headlines Have you struggled with weight loss, pain management? Maybe you just lack in energy? I struggled with all these things. And then I got introduced to Truvy, an official sponsor of In Off The Bench. If you download the Truvy app, T-R-U-V-Y, and use the official In Off The Bench code, Easy Money, you can save money and get hooked up today and get your life turned around. Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Q is your guy. Quintavious Burdett, who was once a guest of In Off The Bench, and Ole Miss alumni who is with REMAX is the guy who will help you get your home. He is the guy who just helped me get my home. I just closed on my house a few weeks ago in the South Haven area, and Quintavious is the one who set the whole thing up. He is the man. He is one of the top, if not the top, realtor in the Mid-South area. You can get a hold of him at 662-292-7136 for all your real estate needs. All right, welcome back to the In Off the Bench podcast. We got some headlines for you tonight. We're going to lead off with you, Jim. Are you now a Carolina Panthers fan now that (laughs) Baker Mayfield is no longer with the Browns? He's with the Panthers. Bro, I have never been more confused about a situation because they got Darnold, they just drafted Corral, and they did a list of how many picks they've given up to, to make the move to get Corral, to, to get Darnold, and, and to now get Baker. They've given up, like, you know, none of them were, like, 
first rounders, but they've given up like six, seven picks or something to get all these dudes. And like, I don't know who the guy is going to be. Obviously, you're not going to throw Corral out there now, but is, is it Baker or, I mean, according to some of these Carolina Panther receivers, they're coming out and being blunt about it. Like, Darnold's their guy. So, like, I don't know what to think about this whole situation. What do you think, Randy? I think that it's going to be Baker Mayfield. But also, speaking of numbers, the no, number since 2018, Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold lead the NFL in most interceptions thrown. Oof. But – what the Panthers are getting a bargain. They're only having to pay 4.85 of his massive salary. Browns are really strapped with a lot of it. He converted some of it to incentive based. So I think it's a win-win because I don't think Sam Darnold is an NFL quarterback. I, I just don't, maybe a backup, but he's not. I don't a know that Baker Mayfield is maybe, but we did see Baker be successful one year and had it not been for injury, they had the chiefs on the ropes um had it well, i think it was it Hen henny henny or they came in there and you know ran <laughs> it around hey, give, it up, give chad henny his respect chad, shout out chad henny baby but I, I think it's a it's a bargain deal and i think matt corral for for hopefully them spending all their picks on him, that's their future but this guy can give you a bridge gap and it's not like it's a long-term deal i'm but cool doesn't, with it. but doesn't the whole fact that they draft matt corral and now they're pulling Baker over. Doesn't that tell you everything you need to know about how they feel about Sam Darnold? Absolutely. Regardless of, of what the players say. They don't care what the players say. Yeah, it doesn't matter. And and to be honest, those dudes are going to go catch balls from whoever's behind center because they're getting paid to do it. Well, you said it earlier. Winning cures all. If yep. Baker goes out there and wins 9-10 games, those dudes are going to be like, Sam Darnold, who? But Baker's fixed it. Marshawn Lattimore is salivating at that matchup, and he cannot wait. Jesse, my boy, guy, I know we're we're talking about Carolina. They ranked him as the second best corner in the NFL behind Jalen Ramsey. In a NFL, uh, what you call it? The one that actually matters, uh, the three letter acronym, whatever. Anyway, yeah, P yeah, yeah, that's it. Anyway, I was impressed. About time they gave my boy Lattimore respect. But yeah, I can't wait for him to pick off Baker Mayfield. My question for you guys, Daniel, I guess I go to you, like. Cleveland, like, all right, so we know Cincinnati and they're uprising. Um, you know, we obviously know Baltimore is going to stay in the mix. Like, is, like, Cleveland going to go back to the bottom? They're going to be terrible. Who? <laughs> Chad Henney's going to be their quarterback? They got Josh Dobbs, you sons of bitches. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Deshaun Watson ain't touching that field. No. Y'all know that, right? Yeah, 100%. You know, and I don't know what, what the outlook is for them, but, I mean – Browns fans are gonna are are gonna be those dudes that are like, oh, it's gonna be our year. <laughs> and Jim, go ahead. Now's Jim's the picking them, baby. Let's go. No, I'm not, man, because the Joey B's and the Bengals, especially after going to college football hall of fame, seeing all the Joey B stuff. Ah, oh, man. Hot take. Bengals ain't making the playoffs this year. Said it right here. On the show. The only reason I won't argue with you too much is because we've talked about this. Historically, the team that loses the Super Bowl falls off. It's the weirdest damn thing. Agreed. Almost, it's, almost like, it's almost like that college baseball anomaly since 1999 if you're the number one ranked team. If you go to the mm. Super Bowl and lose, you don't make the playoffs more times than not. True. Okay. All right. Can't handle the loss. Can't handle the L. Statistically speaking, yes. But in real world talk, let Jamar Chase be available when my draft slot comes up. Randy, he already said number it one. Matter. He's taking him number, number one. Number one. That he, no no matter what. I'm 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 fine with that. DB don't win the fantasy football championship anyways. Fine. That's, That's false. 
That is false. I'm just kidding, man. That was- Mar Chase is a great talent. So is Joey B. I just think they got too many holes still. I don't think they addressed what they needed to address. That that offensive line. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the man still – look, he's already had a season-ending injury once. You should address that. I, yeah. Just, that's all I'm saying. And I they agree. lost some people on defense, too. The defense was kind of holding it together, you know, band-aiding here and there, but played great in the playoffs. I think they lost some guys, man. That's all I'm saying. I think, I think, and we're not even we're not even doing NFL as a whole. I think this is the year the Bills actually make the Super Bowl. I'm calling it. They'll lose to the Cowboys in the Super Bowl <laughs> or in like no, he season. no, he's making a joke because of back in the nineties. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> keeping the keeping the streak alive, baby. That's that's right, baby. All right, guys. Uh, transition to NBA. Obviously, summer league's going on, but there's also trade rumors there's there's deals that have already been made randy i want to start with with rudy gobert to minnesota obviously another long big dude going to another long big team like what does that do for the hold on back up is this your favorite team i gotta know (laughs) no absolutely not not at all i i can't get behind those but there's so much length there's so much there is there's a lot of length on that team but the the T Wolves, Randy. Does this do anything to to put them in a category above where they're at now? No, I don't think so at all. Because yes, they felt like they were had a weak team as far as protecting the rim, and they addressed that. But I just don't. I don't think Rudy Gobert is the guy that puts you over the top. I don't think he can score, and I actually think he's a very overrated defender. I don't know. I mean, and I could. And, and I know you can't love what they gave up to get him either. No, I hate that. And then you let Patrick – I know how we feel about Patrick Beverly. But if you're trying to really compete for a championship, you need perimeter guards, defenders. And they gave that up to get a guy that protects the rim. Nobody plays at the rim. Did they make this move simply to and, beat the Memphis Grizzlies? And, 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 and that was another thing. But they gave up the one guy that makes it really difficult for the Grizzlies. So, and, and my and my thing would also be because you talked about the Patrick Beverly thing. That's something that Minnesota. I was listening to them talk about it on a show the other day. They still don't have a point guard who can distribute. You know, they had one that could play defense and they had one that could shoot, but they still don't even got a guy who can pass the ball, and that's a problem within itself. And they got Kyle Anderson. My God, <laughs> they might be the slowest team in the league. Yeah, that the, when it came through, I mean, I, I was reading the Twitter board and nobody from the NBA that, like, has a valuable opinion thought it was a good deal. No, it's a terrible – and, I look, from what Slow-Mo did to this team coming in when he did, and he was the veteran leader, and he had some really good moments, but he has a hella weakness to his game, and he is the – he's a dinosaur in today's NBA. He cannot stay in front of a fast – a fast offensive player that's all that you're going to play in the western conference i just i just don't i don't I, like what they did at all i feel like the only thing that i could see that was a positive from this is you don't have to worry about car anthony towns protecting the rim and he can keep him out of foul trouble that's the only thing i could see oh that's true but then he gets to say like we in minnesota now no. <laughs> <laughs> so jim katie this whole saga that's that's you know surrounding him why are you setting Jim up with some KD questions, bro? I mean, is is it ain't is even this, on the notes? <laughs> it's not. It's not. But it does he end up in Brooklyn? Does he just ends up staying there? 
Like, what, what, what are we doing here? Yeah, he ends up in Brooklyn because I don't think and, – and Rudy Gobert is part of that problem. Um, I know uh, y'all have probably read up on this. I know Randy at least has. Because of what Rudy got, KD now has the ability to ask for even more. And no team is going to be able – willing to, to give up. To use Memphis, for example, right? Memphis isn't going after him. It's not going to happen. But they had talked about it. And, and this is before Triple J was even hurt. You would have had to give up Bain, Triple J, and Picks. And that's just for Memphis, but it's any team. No team's giving up multiple star guys and multiple picks just for one guy. And I understand he's the best scorer in the NBA, but it's just too much. So I don't think a team's going to completely tear themselves down for one guy. I do know that there's talks that he could go to Golden State. I don't, th- but the whole point for KD is to prove that he didn't go rather coattail. So I don't think he makes them, or, you know, he is obviously not the one that makes the move, but he, he will talk them out of that trade. Randy, what do, what do you think? Uh, I agree with everything Jim said. I think the asking price is too high. Unless KD – I mean, if I'm the Nets and I'm a businessman, I'm not trading you just because you want to be traded. You can be on this team and don't play. Spend the rest of your years – because we're already strapped for the money now. We made that decision. We have to live with that. But I'm not going to give up anything for, to, to make him happy. I'm not doing it. If Kyrie, for that if, matter. if Kyrie comes back in and is stops being a loon and both of them are fully healthy, if you just have average players around them, are they good enough to compete for it? Absolutely. It, but, I mean, you know, that's a big ask that you just said. If they come back in and get out of there. I just don't think that we've ever seen an era where players have been more selfish than we are right now. And, you know, I'm not in their head. I can't speak for them. I just think that they feel like they have all the power, all the leverage – and I just don't think that's how it works. You signed a long-term deal, Kevin Durant. You got to honor that. That's period. End of story. You signed the contract. I w- man, I wish I could just be like, you know what? I'm not happy. <laughs> Let's pay me more, more money and put me somewhere else right now. Yeah. I mean, shit. Uh, you know, I, I do, before we transition out of NBA, I got to get your take on this, Randy. Obviously, John Morant. You know, he's pretty good, pretty good at basketball. So I hear I've heard of him. Um, but is he is he Michael Jordan good? Like he says he could give Michael Jordan the business, not the business, the business. Mm. So did a lot of research on this because I saw this coming out. And I recently I've asked in off the bench to be a part of Ball Sack Sport Networks because that's who broke the news. Ball sack sports. Ball sack sports. So what we see again, just like we saw with the Evan Russell stuff, is that a troll Twitter account takes a piece of an interview, writes a fake headline, and everybody and ESPN did a whole segment on this. I saw Kendrick Perkins doing a whole segment on this. John Morant never said it. He never said it. Really? Would he would he cook Michael Jordan in a one-on-one? Maybe right now. I didn't know that he didn't say it. That's just it was. It's I was. News. I actually. I actually. You know, respected him because you know you tell guys this. Daniel tells guys this all the time, man. Like, if you don't believe in yourself, then what are we doing here? Like, you should be able to believe you can beat anybody you play. A hundred percent, and I'm sure he does. This particular thing, he did not say. But since you, uh, up- uh, if he was asked the question in that context, what do you like? What do you think the guy would say? That's what you. Nah, have to it, say. It, it, MJ would beat me. I'm putting him on skates is what John yeah. Moran would say. I'm putting him in the mud. Uh, hey, so since you brought up Kendrick Perkins' name, and this wasn't on the headline, but since he's going to throw KD at me, 
did you see and this, and this was said Kendrick Perkins told Russell Westbrook that he wouldn't participate in anything because all they do is talk about trading them what do you think about that Randy I think the NBA has done a really good job of staying relevant all year long I read a headline yesterday it's like days of our lives that Russell Westbrook and LeBron James were in the same gym and didn't speak to each other dun 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 who fucking cares? And yeah, look, Kendrick Perkins is really trying to do his best, um, you know, Colin Cowherd thing. Did y'all see? I did see what you're talking about. I even agree with him. Russell Westbrook, if anybody's going to force a trade, I don't know how you do it, Russ, but get out of L.A., bro. It's not good for you. But second thing is, did y'all see Kendrick Perkins going at my boy Desmond Bain? Did y'all mm -mm. see it? Mm -mm. He went at Desmond Bain. Desmond Bain came back, clapped back, and said they going to – he said, oh, no, here – Kendrick Perkins said, y'all know I'll run up the chimney. Desmond Bain clapped back on Twitter and said, they going to think you're the black Santa Claus coming up that chimney. Mm. And then John Morant went at him. It's been a lot, man. A lot of chirping. A lot of, so I think That's Kendrick what I love Perkins, about these Grizzlies sticking together, too. Mm. Oh, they stick together because John Morant immediately jumped in, and uh, Kendrick Perkins is doing his best to stay relevant. But I don't know. I don't know, Perk. You might want to leave the Memphis boys alone. <laughs> I know and it does. And, he, and he, he was their biggest promoter in the beginning. Yeah, I know. Now he's going to be hating. Yeah. Y'all know what Desmond Bain said? They're not gonna rook us. They not. They not. They. And hey, ass behind and, that and, desk. and the love for Bain because we I brought up that KD thing, DB. Because um, I know you don't get to listen to local radio. The love for Bain, just about every, if not all of them, I think I've heard all of them say it. Say when it came to KD, and we're talking about KD, every one of them said they wouldn't give up Bain. Bain is loved, man. Uh, and I agree with it. Bane, I don't know. You, you think Bane could be that guy? Not KD. I'm not saying that, but I think he is. Uh, he is as important to the Grizzlies as as any as any piece they have. He's as no. important as John Morant. And when you look no, at today's what game, I, especially with the three and D. No, what what I'm saying is, do you think Bane could be that guy, like the Memphis guy, like yes, the Zebo, the, the I, I Tony think, Parker, the that guy but i think i think as far as who he can be on the court and i, I guess i was uh not hearing what you were actually asking but i was thinking i mean he's easily the clay thompson like role right randy to, to yeah. Steph, yeah which is an awesome role to be in but much more muscular <laughs> jim likes him because he's got yeah. big muscles yeah he's yeah. bane after all i mean you can't have that name and not have muscle bro I just like it because the kid was at TCU, wasn't a highly regarded recruit. The Grizzlies got a steal in the draft getting him, and he's proven that he will be an all-star. He is the – right now, he is to me, he's the Grizzlies' second-best player. Have you seen them in the summer league, any of these guys? I watched the first two games, and I am – I love, love, love fat athletes. My boy, Kenny Lofton Jr., my boy, that's my heart and soul right there, cuz. He's a damn dump truck. Just. That boy, hey, Chet Holmgren didn't want that smoke, DB. No, not at all. That boy put that badonka donk in his chest. <laughs> just caved him in. Yeah, he folded up like a cheap suit. That man was like Casper <laughs> Briggs was guarding him. He folded up. <laughs> all right, Randy. So you're, you're, you're Tennessee boys, top five recruiting class in the country, man. Are they is, – is this the year, but <laughs> – more importantly, are they setting themselves up to be the top level in this new SEC, or are they going to be right where they're at 
where they've been? Uh-huh. That's a trick <laughs> question. It is. <laughs> so I'll say this. It's, so the, they're, they're top five for the 2023. So not this season, but the next season. They are stacking talent. They got two five-stars, six four-stars. They're stacking the two, the talent. The two-in thing is awesome. The t- they're, they're awesome. However, signing day is in February. It's a long way away. We've seen these things get away from you. But it's interesting to me. And this happens a lot. Ohio State's number one, but if you go down, you got LSU in the top ten. That's Please tell me you're gonna bring up Texas A&M. No, no, no. Alabama is number twelve. That's up five spots because they got a five star. The the drop of A&M from it's been crazy. Yeah. But what I think is interesting, everybody says recruiting rankings don't matter. Recruiting rankings don't matter. That's the laziest take in sports because absolutely they matter. Last year we saw Georgia and Alabama play for a national title, right? And it wasn't even close who the third best team was. And if you go back and look, those two teams are in the top two to three every single freaking year. Them and Ohio State every year. Every year. And those three teams are always competing for a title. But my caveat is this. Tennessee has not finished outside of the top 20 ever, like in the last 15 years, but one time. So they have to find a way to, and I think Heupel's going to do it. Well, they're, what they're doing that I do love, DB, is they're addressing the defensive side of the ball a lot. They're going to keep that explosive offense. I love what they're doing. I hope that he keeps the momentum. He has done a fantastic job recruiting since he got in. He took over a mess, made it a top 15 class, this year he's got coming into this year another top 15 class and now he's in the top five so far for 2023 so all you can do is what's in front of you right and he's done a fantastic job now we got to see that translate on the field like alabama and georgia ohio state and all them do so how many like if you have a top obviously you said tennessee's top 15 recruiting class you know year to year obviously this one is top five for 2023 but how many of these guys actually become guys that are producers on the field? Well, for Tennessee, it's probably been one out of every 15 or 20. I mean, you got guys that you could name, Cordell Patterson, Alvin Kamara, uh, guys like that, uh, Callaway at, with the Saints. There's been a lot of them, but it's not, it hasn't been to the level that Fulmer had it rolling at. So, so let me ask you a question, Randy. Um, obviously, we know NIL plays a role, but – with the way the baseball and basketball program, and then even the women's sports, with the way sports are at Tennessee altogether, does that help at all? Like when you're trying to get the football up, like when you say, hey, we're, you know, we're trying to get football because we're a powerhouse in every sport, and that's the only thing we got left. Yeah. One thing that all three of us know is that football is the driver, football is the king. So, yeah, I think that high tides raise all ships, but they're only going to go as far as their football team goes because that's what pays for these other non-revenue sports and even baseball i love obviously i love tennessee baseball but they barely broke even this year as talented as they were they barely broke even on a revenue standpoint yeah because how, it, how? yeah well, and we've talked about that before but i mean when you look like obviously y'all don't care about soccer but their soccer team is amazing obviously you know their softball team was amazing we know basketball won the sec you know and baseball won the sec obviously they should have won it all they just didn't get it done but point being man it's like football's the only thing left and it's like pure dominance like across yeah, and I think they're – DB asked the question, are they, are they back? A little bit of sarcasm in his voice, I heard it. But Tennessee won't be back. Danny White came in to do one thing. It was – obviously, you want all your athletics to do good. That's his job. He's the athletic director. But don't get it twisted. If football doesn't win, Danny White will not stay here no matter how successful baseball is, no matter how successful basketball is. Football is the straw that stirs the drink. And that's at all the, all the schools that we like. At LSU, if Brian Kelly's not successful – Bro, he gone and so is the AD. At Memphis, 
well, the AD might not be gone because they like keeping ADs. But <laughs> football, look, that's what's helped them. That forever it was basketball, basketball, basketball. Basketball is going to make you revenue. 100% it does at Memphis. But if football is not making money, the rest of your athletic program suffers. Yep. It's hard, it's hard enough to have all of those sports with a average to mediocre, if not an okay to good football team. But you're right. They have to be good year to year in order for those other sports to have a chance to be successful or even be a part of the program in general. I mean, I thought that year was most interesting was because, Randy, we had a long talk about it when it happened in real time. The year that uh, LSU won the national championship, I mean, the baseball team made it to Super Regionals, and they still only grossed $2 million that year, whereas LSU was uh, football was over 100 Like, it's just the disparity is crazy. It is crazy. And th- look, you guys know how long Tennessee's been down. And if you look at it, I just looked this up the other day. As far as revenue producers, Tennessee still over the last even five years still produces the sixth most revenue in the country. I mean, that's that's branding. Hey, hey LSU's and, the same way. And wild note before we get off college football, I got to tell you guys, when I was in the college football hall of fame and I was walking through the SEC section, I kind of wanted to like pity cry looking at the Vanderbilt case. It was, it was what was a, in there. Nothing. That was my point. It had a Vanderbilt banner on the back. And that was the only reason you knew it was that Base, no. baseball. They no, said, the, the, please, the, please refer to the baseball hall of fame. Yeah, it was bad. And then I told you what I noticed when I walked by Tennessee, I walked by Tennessee cause they had any Heisman trophy uh, winners in there. And I was like, man, I started thinking about God, I bet every Tennessee fan comes through here. Salty as hell. Manning's Jersey isn't there. Show is. Damn. All right, baseball, let's go to it. Jim, I'm going to go to you. You just were at the Braves game. Uh, they're, they're hot. They had the Mets. Um, you know, Mets are top of the NL East. The Braves are closing in. So tell me a little bit about the Braves. How you feeling now that you've got to see them live? Well, I feel really good about them. Um, you know, obviously Washington isn't the best team, but, you know, you play who's in front of you. You always told me it's about winning series. They didn't just win series. They, they swept it. They had, uh, they had took care of business, obviously, with the Cardinals last week, as we know, as Cardinal fans. So they've been hot. But the Mets and Braves have already played. And Max Scherzer was Max Scherzer, bro. Absolutely. Electric only gave up three hits. So one run had nine strikeouts over seven innings. And so they got the dub on Atlanta. So, um as good as Atlanta is, it seems to be, guys. We talked about would the Mets, you know, maintain. And as of right now, they will. But I will give you this note. Do you know who scored the one run? Austin Riley. Austin Riley hit a bomb again, dude. Red hot. But I want to make a note on this. And because he's not going to listen to this, so he won't get mad at us. I'm seeing all the Atlanta Braves people who are upset about him not being in the All-Star game. When you look at the fact that, for instance, Arenado is not even a starter and is your backup. When you look at the two third basemen specifically in front of him, like, you know, like, I mean, I understand his numbers, but he's not going to make it over the over Machado and Arenado. He's just not. But he's it's a, it's a fan vote. Like, if the Braves fans are mad about it, do something vote, about it. Vote more. Well, that shows – and that's an interesting take. That was, a, that was a question I was going to ask you guys. If you look at Ronald Acuna's stats, they aren't all-star worthy, and he's in there. So, does that mean that Braves fans are bigger fans of him? 
he is the superstar. Not that he should be, but he is the superstar. I mean, yeah. if you, if you want to take it a step further, where we're going, I mean, does Albert Pujols deserve to be a uh, All Star? <laughs> but they, but they said, but they said he's a legacy. They said, I mean, he he's getting a, a legacy invite. Yeah, no, and they said I, the I'm, I'm happy for him. They said the commission put in a phone call to get him and Cabrera in. Uh, he did, he, and he came out and said that. Yeah, but right. I, I don't even like, I don't even like that. You don't want well. You like I know you at least like him. Even like even though you said he might not hit a home run, you like him being in the home run derby, don't you? I do. I really and truly, I just hope that it's not. That's not the lasting memory we have of Albert Pujols in a home run derby is him not being able to hit it out. Not that he can't, because I mean he can hit a home run. He's done that this year several times. But that's a different environment. I mean, it's an environment that he's been in and thrived in. If well, I might yeah, add, wasn't forty three years old. I mean. John Daly can still swing a golf club and and he smokes and and gets after it. So don't you ever don't you ever talk about him again. That's that's a king. Hey, and this hey, and this is a Razorbacks episode, so we can't. (laughs) John Daly's the king. Hey, I'm not besmirching the name. I'm just stating facts. So the 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 guy's not the most healthiest, well put together, in shape dude. But he's getting it done. But he can but he can get it done. So he's a lot of people's hero for that reason. But I gotta ask you guys before we move on to Cardinals, do you know we do predictions a lot of the time? You know, now with that loss, that'll put that puts the Braves two and a half back. Do the Mets actually not met, so to speak, and and, and do what they always do, and even when they give give hope to Mets fans fall apart, do they actually hold on and, and win that division? No. They're falling apart, dude. No, I think they do. Because if you got to give me – I think that the it's going to even out and they're both going to be right there together. But I'm st- I got to go with the Mets because they got the pitcher. And, and it really – and it really Boy's is – all you need. And it really is about their pitching because when I was looking at their, their lineup and look at the batting averages, I mean, they only had in the starting lineup tonight when I was comparing them against the Braves uh, when we because we were going to talk about this. They only got one guy batting over three hundred, which I thought was wild. Hey. You don't you wouldn't take Mad Max over any of the Braves pitchers, Daniel? No, of course I would. Does Charlie Morton still pitch for Braves? Sometimes I know, but I'm doing that to Daniel because he loves Uncle Charlie. I love Charlie Morton. Oh, he's good. He's good. And the you know what you talk about the Mets, they only got one. I think it's McNeil that's batting over 300, but they still got Pete Alonso dropping bombs and wow. getting RBIs. Who that's I a mean, guy that as of last year made more money in the home run derby than he made in salary all year long before he signed this last deal. Yeah, I, I, I assume he's in it again, right? I have he got not defended back to back titles. You have to. I, yeah, I I read it that he was going to be in it, but it didn't give me nowhere could I find like a definitive list of guys that are actually in it. So. if you go, I just clicked the MLB homepage on ESPN and it says Acuna, which we actually happen to just ironically be talking about pool host, join the field and can they take down Pete Alonzo? You wouldn't have that headline unless he's in there, right? I just started looking at something because I wanted to see the Mets offensive stats are their sixth in run scored, fifth in batting average, but their batting average is not good, 255. Third and on base percentage. I mean, that's not that's not bad. Offensive. It's so, so a team batting average two fifty five is sixth. Sixth. Man, Boy. there's a lot of, a lot of teams struggling by the dish. I well, yeah, I agree. 
It, I mean, yeah. they don't they don't have to hit the ball that that well. I mean, you just got to drop bombs. Yeah, you can. So you yeah, have he, a, he is a base hitting a bomb, and that that'll win you a game. The only three, Hits. the only three confirmed contestants are Alonzo, Acuna, and Pujols. So that's all we got right now. But he is in there. Wow, this year's home run derby is going to be very, very and quick. Got, and, and to your point, Randy, he has 23 bombs on the year. and it's 72 got, RBIs? And it's got right here his longest one of the year is 447 feet. That's pretty far. So you guys are – you, Jim, you're okay with, with Pujols and Cabrera getting honorary spots? Yeah, I am. I mean – I mean, R- Randy didn't seem like he was a fan of it, but he didn't mind when they did it for the NBA players once upon a time. Yeah, let's like, see. He's had none. I mean, Dirk and Kobe and all them got it done. Uh, I would That's like true. to know, well, if if they're giving them an invite, who is not? That was what was brought up because whoever gets screwed out of not coming, let's say Austin Riley, for instance, um, that sucks for them. Yeah. Hey man, great season! You you earned an all star spot, but guess what? Maybe next year we got to bring these old dudes in. Well, Watch the, Pujols light it up in the home run derby. The good news is I don't have the quote in front of me, but they asked Austin about it, and he said he doesn't care about anything but winning, uh, bringing back a, another trophy to Atlanta. And so that's the right response, whether he really feels that way or not. That's the right thing to say. Of course, I mean, who knows? He might go out there and drop twenty. Who knows? I Maybe mean, he it, should it, get in the home run derby and just go win that thing. Hey, that's that's what I would do. Just put me in. I'll I'll, I'll give it a, a a college try. So so what I'm ready to talk about in regards to All Star Game is those unis. Tell me y'all seen them? Fresh to death. Yeah, they're pretty pretty nice. What do you like better? You like those those grays or those whites, Jim? Those whites, bro. Those whites go hard. The gold. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. What about you? I think the whites, uh, yeah, classic. I like the little gold touch. That's nice. the 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 hat is is pretty sweet. Hats are pretty sweet. I like it. I would, when when those came through, I was like, okay, y'all y'all nailed that. I love that. You gonna go? You gonna go on MLB.com and go ahead and snag you one? They ain't get. They ain't got an O'Neill one, so no. <laughs> uh, I, I thought you were gonna say they don't have one big enough for your head. Oh, okay. Like, but you know, hey, you know what? Here's the funny part. Was so when I'm at when I'm at Trish Park, I'm thinking, man, maybe I should buy like a Braves hat or an Austin Riley, uh, you know, jersey. And then I was like, no, nah, man. I was like, I don't want a Braves gear. I was like, I love rooting for Austin, but I was like, nah. I walked into the store and just like peeked around for a minute and walked back out. Couldn't do it. Can't, can't, because the minute you buy that jersey. That's the the death sentence. <laughs> They're gonna be moving on to greener pastures. All right, look, hey, look, hey I got to tell you, quick quick story in uh, this past weekend. So when I went to put on my in off the bench shirt, Dylan Ross from Georgia, upcoming guest, says, "Hey, I actually brought two polos." He goes, "Won't you rock the Georgia one with me? Because you know that's who you want to support." And I was like, "Let me think about it for a second. I was like, "No, I'm good." <laughs> Nope. Sorry, Dylan. And of course, then of course, then you know, Dylan Delucia offered me one from him. And then I said, What size are you? He said, large. I said, Yeah, not gonna work anyway. (laughs) Just just too big. I would I mean, Daniel, what does that say? Because Turner talked about 
you know, how good he was. Dude, you've seen the pictures. That's a small guy, man. How's he slinging that ball like that? The dude, the dude is tiny. What we like to call torque and whip. I <laughs> <laughs> right, guess. Last call. Randy, anything? We are not getting off the show without talking about my playboy 22-year-old quarterback, Zach Wilson. You guys might know Zach Wilson. He is the Jets quarterback, and he has found himself starring in a real-life soap opera. His ex-girlfriend, Abby Guile, also 22 years old, has accused the BYU phenom of sleeping with his mother's best friend. Now, in her since-deleted Instagram post, she accused her ex of sleeping with his mom's best friend and being a homie hopper. Zach Wilson's got questions to answer, not only to his mother, but also his homies. But I read the best best statement in regards to that. This is the uh, home, du- homie hopper. This is the most W's the Jets have had in years. So shout out to Zach Wilson. Shout out. Also, the best quote that came out of all this was Jeff Jets offensive lineman Mecca Becton recently tweeted a meme of Hall of Famer Terrell Owens saying, that's my quarterback. <laughs> you think Rex Ryan is like, yeah, I wish I could be a Jet again. Yeah. <laughs> you guys got an open position? <laughs> Jim, last call. What you got? All right. So, you know, this year going to Omaha, I hated TD Ameritrade being called Charles Schwab. I don't like when things change. And so – the Pittsburgh Steelers, not a Steelers fan, never even been there. But Heinz Field is legendary. I hate when names change. Anyway, I don't even know if I'm saying it right. Acrisure, maybe. I don't know. I hate it. How do you feel? Dumb. Dumb. Why can't wow, it just be super s- dumb? Why can't it just be Steelers Stadium? <laughs> Something. <laughs> I, I, I just, I hate when you have these legendary names and then they change. And then, like, 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 then you have some, like, for instance, when New Orleans was the Mercedes-Benz, and then so was Atlanta. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, what are we doing here? So, I don't know. Luckily, we're, we're now Caesars. Well, New I mean. Orleans, New Orleans swaps every four years now. What's crazy is the Lightning used to play, you know, in an arena, and they used to call it the Ice Palace. Ooh. Now it's called Amalay Arena. Like, Dude, what gets better than the Ice Palace? I, that's on, what man. I thought. I mean. Hey, it is what it is. But, guys, another good episode. I want to thank our guest, Michael Turner, for joining us. If you like hearing his story or you just like hearing us average shows, talk X's and O's, please like and share the podcast on Facebook. Retweet us on Twitter. Listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. As always, comments, ratings, feedback, shares, likes, all that good stuff. Do it for us. Show us some love. And we'll see everybody next week where we got the man, the quarterback, for the Memphis Tigers, Seth Hennigan joining us. This has been the End Off the Bench podcast. As always, remember, strong, strong body, sharp minds, great and grind all the time. We out.